No listener behind. This episode of the House of Mystery is brought to you by Legacy Food Storage. The best way to protect your family is by being prepared. LegacyFoodStorage.com Science fiction, horror, fantasy, crime, LGBT, thriller. You have now entered the House of Mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Welcome back into the House of Mystery. I'm Al Warren, Mr. Dave Martino. I'm here. Happy New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year, yeah. That's the first first episode back, I guess, after the yeah. three week hiatus. That's right. Don't call it a comeback. <laughs> is it the bad thing is people don't know what you're talking about no, they don't. that's not very 90s of you right <laughs> and, and it's still hard to believe that the 90s is like 30 years ago i know well he was on new year's rock and eve and i did turn that on for a minute too huh? oh a minute you were watching the whole thing you were laying yeah. on the couch with a cat and... <laughs> yeah exactly come on tell the truth no we watched yeah. the shining for part of it we want an upbeat, upbeat movie to ring in the New Year's. An upbeat movie is The Shining. Yeah. The Shining, yeah. How do you find that upbeat? <laughs> I mean, I'm being a little sarcastic. Yeah, I was going to say, what's your wife doing? Like, she's kind of like got a little light on watching you, right? <laughs> oh, oh, she's honey, a big horror movie fan, you know. Oh, maybe you should be watching her. Yeah, I know. She's learning how to kill the husband. Yeah, it's scary. she take out any insurance policies on you lately? Not that I know of, but, you know, probably secret, <laughs> secret insurance policies. And so what are you going to do? Do you see that? I sent you that with Best Buy dropping the, uh, they're not going to be doing any more DVDs. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, you, you know, there's still boutique companies that are doing, you know, DVD, Blu-ray, um, 4K. And, you yeah. know, Walmart and, and Amazon are still in the business, at least for now. So I, I, don't, yeah. think, I don't think discs are going anywhere yet. That's, that's, it's, it, it, to me, it seems like the beginning of the end. <laughs> well, that's. <laughs> but I say that with everything, don't I? I guess I can kind of complain. Well, I just sort of think that's kind of like when when a big chain like that stops, then how long before others do? Yeah, well, we'll see. And you know, they didn't have a big market anyway for 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 the discs. Yeah. But you know, I mm-hmm. I you know much prefer older films anyway. So and, and most of that. A lot of that has been put to disc, so. Yeah, well. I'm sure I can still get them. Well, yeah, you you get them at the dollar store. (laughs) That's true, too. (laughs) Hey, we might get, we may luck out, and maybe they'll they'll send some good stuff to the dollar store. Well, that's that's fine. fine. Ship it right down there. Dollar 25. Hey, I'm I'm all for it. Well, they got a couple hundred stores. That's a lot of merchandise to get rid of. Yeah. Right? Or they're going to sell it cheap to get rid of it. Yeah, I'm waiting. You know? Yeah, you'll be that guy waiting out the night before. That's right, be camping out. Just that, you know, you're the only one there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Cough will come along and say, move along, buddy. Yeah, exactly. I'll, I'll end up, I'll, I'll be calling you for bail money. Yeah. But I'm yeah, waiting. I'm waiting. me out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, don't wake me up, okay? Do it, don't do it in the middle of the night. <laughs> night, right. Well, now, speaking of bail, uh, it looks like what we've got a, a lawyer on, right, who's uh, written yeah. books, I believe. Like, uh, you know, this is uh, really interesting. So um, now this is book two of a series, it looks like. It's a Southern California Mystery, yeah, two-book series. And uh, this one is called Murderous Means. It's a Southern California Mystery. So people look out. So uh, <laughs> Leah Sedaris, thank you for being here. It's my pleasure. Thank you so much for hosting me today, Al. So, Lita, what would bring you into the world of writing? 
if you if, if you got your law degree too, right? Isn't that right? Yes. Am I right in saying that? So you go you go to school, hard hard work, get in get into the legal profession, and then you're writing books. Well, first I have a correction to make. This is actually book six in my series. Oh, yes. Well, I only see two on the. Uh, yes, Amazon has made an error, and we're still trying to correct it between my publisher and I. It's been a while, but this is actually book six. Wow. Yeah. So. And as to writing, I've wanted to write ever since I could read. I wanted to make people feel how I feel when I'm reading a wonderful book. I think it all started with where the wild things are, total escape into a whole different world. And since that time, I've wanted to write. When I was 10, I wrote a poem, and I won an honorable mention. I think it was from a Calls magazine. And after that, you know, I, I had the bug, but... I could never quite do it because my family insisted I go after a vocation that was more steady and more likely to be able to support me, which is what I did by becoming a lawyer. But even uh, my first job was with a movie studio, and the reason I did that was because of the creativity that I knew would be there. And maybe someday I could write for the studio. Anyway, the thought was always in the back of my mind until it finally reached fruition many decades later, but I'm so glad I, I did because I had no idea what I was missing until I entered this writer's life. It's absolutely wonderful. Yeah, you know, it's a, it, it is an interesting life, but I, I, I always wonder how someone gains that confidence, like if you're not, you know, at, at school writing for the school play and then you're writing articles and you work into the newspaper and all that stuff and magazines and stuff. How do, you, how do you gain the confidence to go, okay, I'm going to write this? Because it's a fictional story, comes from your mind, you write it, then you, then you have uh, the nerve <laughs> to send it to a publisher or send it out. Like, how, does, how do you develop that? How did it happen for you? I had two confidence boosters early on. The first one was um, I won a scholarship to attend the San Francisco Writers Conference based on a chapter I submitted of a work in progress that was historical fiction and I was shocked when an agent called me and invited me and I went and once I got there everyone approached me like I could write they all believed that I could write agents want to see my work the problem was I had nothing written at the time but that gave me the first boost of confidence to go forward and write what I really wanted to write which was a mystery because that's what I love to read so I wrote for the next uh, almost two years before the book was published. And along the way, I submitted my manuscript to, for another award, a scholarship award through the Mystery Writers of America, and I was one of two national winners. Another huge boost of confidence that I could do this. And somehow I did. It's, it's a miracle every time. I don't know how it happens, but somehow I reached the end and it all makes sense, for which I'm quite grateful. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah, you have to be happy. <laughs> you know, how do you deal with this world But nowadays? I always kind of, both Dave and I have had books published, so I know that, and plus being in the public on radio, you get a lot of feedback, I'll call it. But, you know, it's, there's, there, it, you know, in this world, it's it's pretty judgmental and pretty can be pretty negative at times. Do you, are you looking at reviews? Do you, do you think about what people are going to say or do, or do you avoid that? Well, I recently read, or I saw, I heard Janet Ivanovich speak about reviews. I love her work because it's so simple. It's funny and it's a mystery adventure. It's, it's, they're so entertaining all around. And she said, and she has thousands of reviews on Amazon, that she doesn't look at them because they're so brutal. So I don't know if this brutal world ever will stop being so. So to me, the best thing is just not to pay any attention to them. I mean, even J.K. Rowling with her first Harry Potter got a brutal review in the New York Times. It didn't stop her. Um, I think as long as we know that we've done our very best, and I do feel that way once the book is out of my hands, there's nothing I could do any better. You know, I've, it just it happens. I mean, people are going to criticize you no matter what you do sometimes. But it's not my problem. I, I've done the best I could possibly do. And I don't know where they're coming from, so I just, I, I don't really pay attention to it. I am, however, very, very grateful for my wonderful reviews. I just got one from Kirkus for my new book, and it was fabulous, and I was very grateful for that. 
Yeah, it's not worth getting caught up in all that anyway, personally. I mean, I've, I've been there and done that where I was, and now it's kind of, it's not really worth it. It just, it kind of takes, it kind of takes the attention away from writing, you know? It takes away from your joy, and nothing should do that. No, no, of course not. Um, now, let's see, like what, this series, it's a PI sort of series, and that, so your, your main character, I guess, is Corey Locke. Is yes. that correct? Mm-hmm. So where, where does Corey come from? And I should say, who is Corey to you? Well, she is loosely based on my former life, working as a movie studio attorney, except without the homicides. So when I first started writing the, the initial draft, she was me. I mean, it was just a blueprint of my life, but I kept dozing off because it was so tedious. I came back and changed her to an entirely different person, I was very shy and timid when I was 26 years old. That was when I got my first studio job. Everything intimidated me, the largesse of everything, the personalities, the expectations, the very high energy. But she's different, very different than me. She can take it all because she's the daughter of a very well-known L.A. private investigator, and together they cracked a few high-profile cases. So. She knows what she's doing, and really nothing phases her. I should say very little phases her. And so I just went from there. I made her everything I was not. I put in a couple of situations that I had been confronted with and wished I had handled differently. And so it's kind of like a catharsis for me, creating this character. Uh, In the first book in the series, Murder and Other Unnatural Disasters, she shies away from investigating because of what happened to her father. I'm not going to say what it is, but something happens to him. And she is focused on trying to be the best lawyer she can. And her mother's totally for that, for the same reason, what happened to her um, ex-husband, actually. But, you know, when you have a passion for something, it, you, can't, you can't be stopped. You have to go after that thing. And she finds hunting down criminals thrilling. She loves taking risks, and she's got the skills, so why not? And I just went from there. I have to ask, then, what's your relationship with Corey? Like, do you, do you hear her, see her? Do you see it like a movie? Do you hear voices? Like, where's the, uh, where's your common ground with Corey? I definitely hear her voice in my head. I know her character strengths and flaws. She has a, I've watched her grow from book one through book six. Uh, and I can hear her voice very loud and clear in my head. I know what she'll tolerate and what she won't. I know where she draws the line, but I also know where she crosses the line, which she does in every installment. Uh, so I'd say I know her. I know her very well. She's perhaps me 2.0 or beyond <laughs> if if I had those skills. Uh, so I've learned a lot actually from writing this book about myself through this character. I never thought fiction could do that for me, but it has. Well, if she if she keeps crossing the line, she's like Dave. <laughs> <laughs> Is that right. true, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> no comment. No comment. <laughs> well, how, how much liberty do you have to take with what a PI can do in in your novels? I know, like in in real life, PIs can't always like interfere with a criminal investigation, but that's not always true of the fictional PIs. Uh, they get to do more to serve the story. Uh, how do you balance that? Um, well, I don't ever want to present the, the law enforcement in a, in a bad light. Uh, so I'm careful not to do that. And for the most part, she does try to work with them, but, you know, she's a young female, and she doesn't look like she, you know, can handle very much. So they usually kind of push her aside and don't take her seriously. And she, because of that, she's able to do things that maybe they would never suspect her of doing. But as the series progresses, she gains a reputation of her own. So things change a little bit, and the law enforcement or other PIs, they kind of challenge her, like, oh, you want to try this? Yeah, sure, you're going to have to get past me first. So she she has challenges throughout the, throughout the series, but um, again, I really enjoy watching her grow and overcome them all. She hasn't overcome them all, but she's working on it. When, when you say you learn a lot about yourself, I think that a lot of good writers will do that because you're putting a lot of your own, um, let's say, situations or feelings or thoughts 
into the character, into the book, right, and what yes. they go through and that stuff. So do you ever feel a little bit vulnerable when you kind of put that down on paper and write it and people can read it? Well, you are so right on, Al, because we do pour a lot of blood, sweat, and tears into our books. I mean, it's everything there exposed. But I don't know that I'm doing it until after the fact. So it wasn't until the third book that I realized something that she, a theme that was continuing was something that I was feeling too. And also, when she does take down the culprit, which she does sometimes with great gusto, I realized after the fact that, you know, that was a relief for me because it, it helped me get something off my chest indirectly. So that's, that's kind of like therapy, which, which is wonderful because I, and unexpected. And also helped me to learn something about myself. You know, this was troubling me, and this is how I'm dealing with it, by letting my heroin handle it. Letting your heroin, I mean, yeah, I hope people don't think it's the drug you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I never thought of it that way, but it's not. <laughs> Mine hasn't eaten well, yet. <laughs> yeah. So when you, when you put in, like when, you, when you're writing this, um, there's going to be some... You know, there's murder involved. It's kind of a, it's a killer PI sort of book and stuff like that. Are you conscious about how you write um, that sort of scene or how you do the action in, in a book like this? Yes. First, I love action scenes. I'm all about them. I try to end each of my chapters on a cliffhanger with some action uh, because it keeps the story moving forward. But I have no, no violence on the page. Everything happens off the page. And even though uh, every single one of the titles has murder in it, there's not always a murder. For example, number four is slightly murderous intent because it's about a shooter who can't make up his mind whether he actually wants to kill his target or not, so it keeps missing. And in book number three, uh, Murder Double or Nothing, we're not even sure there was a murder, just like murderous means too. Corey's hired by a dysfunctional family to... Uh, prove that uh, the matriarch was killed when she was found having died peacefully in her sleep and all they have to go on is a half-baked psychic vision so is there a murder or not because right. of the, there's a I think I mentioned to you a little bit of a comical um, you know bend to my books there isn't necessarily a murder in every single one right so you kind of take uh I don't know, is it sarcastic or cynical, or you sort of have, what kind of view do you do you put into the the feeling of the book? Oh, you know, I sometimes stop reading books because I don't like their tone, so I hope that mine has a very lighthearted tone, despite the fact that it's a mystery and there's some crime involved. But I try to keep it as lighthearted as I can. Of course, if there's a scene where she's discovering a body, well, that, that particular scene may not be quite as lighthearted as I would like, but then I will insert some sarcasm or something, some, uh, some comment she'll make about the, the body she's found or, or something like that, just to keep it, keep it light and to keep it going in the same tone. I don't want anybody that reads my books to feel down after they've read it. I want them to feel up. I want them to feel like they've been on an adventure that was fun and exciting. So that's how I look at it. Well, you put a lot of snappy dialogue and a lot of humor into your books. Um, now, I'm just wondering, just, just like stand-up comedy, there's a need for timing uh, when telling jokes. You know, that there's a certain, like, timing for humor. Do, do you feel that there is a comedic timing, I guess, of sorts to, to, to be humorous in prose fiction? Oh, yes, absolutely. Um, as a matter of fact, it's very much like stand-up fiction. And when I write the first draft... Uh, which is quite dreadful, typically. There is no humor in it at all. My characters are all stick, uh, stick characters. They're, they have no no basis to them at all. But as I go along and revise and revise, that's when I insert humor wherever I think that it can fit in nicely. Um, and again, timing is everything because I am sensitive to, you know, times when humor just won't work. But, yeah, I, I watch a lot of comedy. I love comedy TV shows. I mean, I don't know if you're familiar, Al, being um, in Canada or no, being familiar with Canada, the, the TV show Psych. The comic timing, I thought, and that was brilliant. Well, you know, I was wondering, too, you know, you mentioned um, 
you, you kind of refer to your characters when you first put them on the page as like stick figures. Yes. Um, maybe with no agency of their own. And I, I've heard of at least one other author that does this. And I'm, I'm wondering if it's to um, keep control of the character so that they don't go off and, and do things <laughs> to, to, to uh, uh, c confound the plot. No, it's just to keep the, the plot moving, because I have a tendency to stop and want to edit everything constantly. And you know, if I do that, I'll never finish the book. So I don't. I keep the plot moving, and that's why I keep them stick figures. Once in a while, however, a scene will call to me, and I will uh, flesh it out some more. And I have a little hack, too, to keep me uh, moving forward, because I don't know about you when you're writing, but when I write... I've got this, whatever it, an, the opposite of a muse is, but something sitting on my shoulder telling me, this is so terrible, no one's going to want to read it. I don't even know how you wrote the last book or the last book. So what I do is I give myself the liberty of going back to the first chapter and only the first chapter and editing it every time before I start. So it keeps getting better and better. And as, every time I read it, I think, you know, this isn't half bad. If you can write the whole book like this, It'll be it'll be perfect. Just just keep on keeping on. So that's how I I motivate myself to continue going forward when I think it might not be great with these stick figures that are populating my books. That's the way I work. It's not so much that the characters right. will overrule or you know take over what's going on, but I just want to move forward and reach those two beautiful words, the end. <laughs> well, that's just uh, that's the second page in my book. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> yeah. Well, so and the bad guys. So how do you how do you write um, an evil character or a bad character? Do you take that after someone you know, someone you've worked with? Uh, we we'll take names and phone numbers and we'll call them. <laughs> I I like to distance myself in my fiction from my reality. That's why I didn't start writing these books that were based on my life when I was twenty six for at least a couple of decades. I don't want to remember how it was, I want to let my imagination run with it. And as for the uh, the villains, I don't know who the villain is necessarily when I write, because I do write by the seat of my pants, although I did have, I do have somewhat of an outline, especially for this last one, Murderous Means. So I'm often surprised when I reach the end, especially in the first book, I was stunned when I discovered who did it. You know, I have to gasp and say, really? I didn't see that coming. So after those first few drafts, I go back and I try to make it consistent without letting it, it be known to the reader uh, who the actual villain is. But I do go in and add in a few tiny details that I guess a very astute reader could pick up. But I'm hoping, I mean, so far in Murder's Means, my, the reaction has been, oh, I had no idea that it was that person. So I don't even know, Al, <laughs> necessarily who it's going to be. Yeah. Well, and so do they let you out of your house when you hear all these voices and they're telling you to do all these things and you don't know who the murderer is? Uh, well, I, you know, I don't know if it quite works that way for me because I just keep, because I, again, I'm mostly in my heroine's head. That's Corey's head, not not the drug. <laughs> yeah, no, I was going to say, well, throw heroin in there, too. <laughs> I've got to watch how I use that word now, but I'm in her head, so... I'm trying to see everything from her viewpoint. So she's constantly thinking, could it be this person? She has a list of suspects in her head, but even in this first, in this last book, um, I had a different culprit at the end. And then I realized, you know, this just doesn't work. It didn't sit well with me. Intuitively, I knew it couldn't be this person. So we, Corey and I, had to go back and fix those last few paragraphs to, in order to uh, uncover the real, the real culprit. So we just go with, I go with the flow. I go yeah. with whatever I think will work somewhat intuitively and logically as well. Well, is it, is it hard creating a, a mystery when you're writing by the seat of your pants? Um, do, you, do you find that uh, your first draft is kind of like your outline? Probably, probably, because um, I tried writing my second book, Murder Gone Missing, with an outline, I was, I was, I felt like such a professional. I wrote the outline. And I'm going to stick to this. It's going to be, I'm going to be like a real writer. But I started, and I just could not do it. I didn't want to know what happened, and I don't want to know. I like to be surprised. Like even in the very beginning of Murderous Means, something happens to her that I didn't expect. It was a mishap 
that caused her to behave perhaps a little bit differently. And it took her by surprise too. So I like not knowing the little details and even the, the, the big, the generalities of what's going to happen. I like the surprise aspect for me because I feel if I'm surprised, my readers will be as well. I'm the same way. I think a lot of uh, authors are. You, you'd be surprised at how many big names write that way. I think it was um, Lee Child I read. He likes to, he can only write by the seat of his pants. I think there are quite a few. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, you know, I think if I wore pants, I would be that, but... <laughs> Uh-oh. Uh-oh. I won't ask. Uh-oh. <laughs> get the censors. Yeah, get the censors. <laughs> but, you know, when you put all your time into uh, to writing one of the books and uh, the characters and the outcome and you get it all finished into the publisher, all the edits done, um, because you put so much of yourself and you relate to the characters and all of that goes into the book, um, how do you think writing one of these changes you, yourself? Wow, well, first of all, again, it's a miracle every time it's finished. Because I, I, in the beginning, it's like, oh, I'm never, how am I going to get through this? And just to digress a little bit, with this latest book, Murderous Means, I reached about 60,000 words, and I found I couldn't continue. I just couldn't go anywhere. It was going so slowly. Yeah, I, I didn't know what was wrong. I wasn't motivated. That had never happened before. Maybe it was... Yeah, I don't know. But in any case, what I did was I stopped writing it for about a month and a half, and I turned to writing another book in a completely different genre. And I started feeling excited again. Uh, that came very smoothly when I was about 30,000 words in. I was motivated once again to return to Murderous Means and finish it. And I don't know, again, what happened, why I lost my mojo, maybe for a little while, what caused that, maybe it was you know, pressures of you know, love life. Um, but I, again, it, it, it turned out fine, and I don't think anybody that reads my books can quite figure out where I get these characters from, because they're not real, but you had mentioned, Dave, that you're a fan of old movies. By old movies, do you mean the 70s, 80s, 90s, or do you mean prior, like 30s and 40s and 50s? Well, my favorites are um, 70s and 80s. Okay, because a lot of my characters, actually, I base on actors, on older actors, maybe from the 70s, maybe from the 30s or 40s. Hmm. All of a sudden, in this book, in Murderous Means, there's a, the sister of the... Um, and the dysfunctional means family who hires Corey. I have no idea where this came from, but I suddenly heard actress Jean Arthur's voice in my head. I don't know if you know who she is, but she was did some Frank Capra films. Um, okay. She did Shane with Alan Ladd. I'm a big fan of the golden right. age of Hollywood. But in any case, yeah. so every time I wrote that character, somehow Jean Arthur, and I, of, of course I didn't know her, and I've seen maybe five or six of her movies, but that's who I heard. That's who I saw. And that made it really easy wow. to write that character. Wow. So you're seeing images and hearing voices. Yeah. <laughs> Again, there's no heroine involved except, you know, Corey. <laughs> sure. Yeah. No, well, hey, the last thing I do is judge. You know? <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, you know, when I like the old movies myself, I'm really into the old. Um, I listen to a lot of the old radio shows. Yeah, right same now. here. I love suspense or suspense. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. No, and it's, it's, that's sort of what I, I really like that sort of thing. And plus, it puts me in the mood if yeah. I'm writing and stuff, right? Exactly. Yeah, I like being in that. You pick up a lot of phrases, too, and a lot of terms people use yes. at different times, too, which you can kind of incorporate, I think, um, you know. What, so what do you hope uh, when someone picks up one of your books, takes it home, reads it at the end of the day, what do you hope they take away from that book? Well, I know what I hope I take away from a book when I pick it up. I hope to completely disappear so that you can't see me. You just see a book that's open and pages turning. So I hope they can completely lose themselves in what's going on and leave the world for a little bit and just have some fun. When I write, I feel like a reader, the readers are sitting next to me and I'm telling them a story, a story that makes them forget everything else. You know, time flies, we're not aware of that. We don't know where we are anymore. We're just having a blast inside the pages. So if someone reads and is thoroughly entertained, I cannot ask for more than that. Are you? Are, do you write the area, like Southern California, you call it mystery and stuff. So are you making Southern California kind of like a character and you 
Do you, is that how you write the, the locations? I, I do. I, at least I hope I do. Um, I know Southern California well. I was born and raised there, and I still live in Southern California. And so I have my heroine revisit all of my own haunts. But where I would, visit, I would go to, for example, Balboa Island in Newport Beach, nothing would happen except we'd have a lovely ride across the ferry and across the small bay, go to the other side. She takes the same ferry. She ends up in the bay, and we don't even know if she's going to make it to the other side. So I love taking places that I know well and throwing her in and watching what happens. Well, make her suffer. Exactly. <laughs> well, not so long, but again, she's a thrill seeker. And she loves taking risks, so this is what she lives for. I'm just, I'm just giving her what she, what she wants. <laughs> right. Yeah, sure. Um, now, so your, your extra characters, extra characters, where do you take those from? Are you, are, are, is it someone you've seen on a bus or in a coffee shop? Or, well, um, it, it could be because, for example, in my first book, again, Murder and Other Unnatural Disasters, she has, there's a subplot involving a professional basketball star who wants her to find his missing lucky charm. And I was on the golf course with my junior golfer one day, and it was a, a weekend where Michael Jordan, the superstar basketball player, was, was there uh, for a golf camp that he was hosting. And so he had a bunch of his buddies there as well. I'm sorry, it was a basketball camp, not a golf camp, but they were golfing um, together uh, afterwards. In any case, we were on hole one, and a basketball player approaches us. I, don't, I didn't know who he was. My son did. It was Alonzo Mourning. And he asked us so nicely, so sweetly, if he could play ahead of us, you know, move forward. And we said, sure. And I thought, you know, I'm going to throw him in my next book. And he seemed, just on the surface, I never met him, talked to him for only a minute or two. He seemed like a cat lover. So I threw him into my first book with a cat. And then, you know, I, that's all I can say. But he became... a uh, a secondary character, and also my side, my uh, Corey has sidekicks. She has three in each book, and they kind of change. Book five, all of a sudden, a new sidekick comes in. But in the first book, she had no sidekicks because she thought she could do everything on her own. She didn't. She hadn't. She didn't know how to accept help. It was a gradual process from her for her. So these sidekicks are all based, maybe loosely based, on people I've had. Uh, just brushes with in real life. Uh, one of them is loosely based on Queen Latifah, just because one day I saw her in her Rolls Royce, a convertible, driving. She looked like she was having a blast. And I thought it would be fun to hang out with her uh, for a while. So I thought I'd do a character, again, loosely based on her. So they come from everywhere, Al. You never know. Mm. <laughs> right. Yeah, well, exactly. I mean, there's a, so it, it, do you ever kill off people you know in these, uh, use them as bad characters? <laughs> I, I can't say that I haven't thought about it quite strongly at times, but okay. I don't. Because I do have to, I like to distance myself from my reality. It's, I don't think I would have a, a clear perspective of what I, and how I should write if I did use real people. No, but it's, again, I have thought about it. <laughs> of course, uh, some names. <laughs> we won't tell anyone. Yeah, we I, won't tell a person. I've heard you could be, you're very trustworthy, so. <laughs> of course. It might be on the radio, but we won't tell anyone directly. I noticed you've also, uh, you've, you've written about a half-baked psychic in this vision. Um, is that taken from a real-life event as well, or do you sort of have, like, any sort of paranormal history? Well, you write true crime, right, Al? That's what sells. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I actually take the, the seeds of my um, ideas from true crime. And I happened to read about the matriarch of a family passing away. She was in her 70s, and, you know, she died peacefully in her sleep. And then I was on a podcast where the host told me that her sister, about the same age, had passed away, and she was certain there was foul play involved. So that's how I got the idea for this book. And then for the psychic, I happened to be reading articles about how psychics can or persuade people to believe in their visions and how often they take people for a ride. So that's when I decided, well, let, let's have Corey deal with a, a psychic. Is she the real deal? And Corey immediately says no. She says, I'm going to solve this case by proving that the psychic is a fraud and it'll be a done deal. We'll get paid and we can move on. But it's not so easy as she thinks it's going to be. 
and there's some more complications that come into play. So there is a half-baked vision from a psychic, and that's what starts the ball rolling. But mm, it goes in a different direction than Corey thinks it will go. Well, you know, it's always it's always good to figure out where this stuff comes from. So where do you where do you see yourself going now? Like, um, what what do you got going on next? Well, I have book number seven in the series, which I've just started. I don't. I'm not. You never know where it's going to go because I don't know if you guys have ever done this, but oftentimes, not oftentimes, but twice in this series anyway, books two and five, I believe. I went back and threw out the first chapter and wrote it uh, all over again, or I made it the second chapter instead. Yep. So anyway, I'm working on book seven, and in book seven, I'm hoping, I'm not sure if this is going to be the case yet, but I'll give you a scoop, and that is, we don't quite know what happened to Corey's father and who did it, so hopefully that will be answered in book seven. With seven books in a series... How do you keep track of your continuity? Do you have a series Bible? Are there tools or systems that you use? After I write the first draft for each one, I go back and I summarize each chapter. I kind of say, the, and the, with the time, with the timeline as well. Otherwise, I'll get mixed up because everything happens within a week in each of these books. I don't like to prolong it. One happened over a Memorial Day weekend, but um, so that's how I go back. But you know, I've never really had to. I guess I have, but not very often do I go back because I. I do have a good sense of what's happened before, or maybe I'm kidding myself, because I saw an interview with Stephen King once many, many years ago. He was being interviewed on the radio, and a caller called in and said, Stephen, you had a piano in uh, a chapter that suddenly just disappeared. It was never mentioned again. What, what was up with that? And there was dead silence. So, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. It was like he was probably thinking, what was my editor doing? They didn't catch that? So yeah, I don't someone know, got but, fired. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so as much as you try to have continuity, even with a Bible, I mean, there are times when you're going to miss things. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's true. Yeah, well, sure, you know, it can happen. You kind of know ahead of time what's going to happen then at all. Because, like, you know, with, with doing a seventh book, when you were back doing book one originally, way back when you started that, do you kind of think that this was going to be six, seven, ten books or oh, anything no. like that? No, no, no. I was, I was focusing on the one. I hadn't signed for more than one book either. Uh, no, just let me, let me. I wanted to see if I could actually do one. And when I did, I thought, you know, there's something I could do with this. And my publisher, my first publisher, was interested. I actually switched publishers. Book one is with one publisher, and books two through seven will be with a different one because my first publisher's focus was on romance novels, and this does not, it has some romance, but not very much. And I wanted someone whose focus was on mystery novels. That's the only reason why I switched publishers. Um, but I had no idea that I, would, that I would be right where I am right now. So I don't know how that happened, but I'm so glad that it did. Yeah, no, it's a good thing. Do, do, do you have any problems trying to keep it um, fresh, like each each book, like whenever I talk to people that do series and stuff like that, is 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 there is it hard to kind of come up with ideas, or does it just happen? Uh, I haven't I haven't had it, any problem keeping it fresh, except that I, as I mentioned, when with murderous means, all of a sudden after sixty thousand words, I came to a halt, and I couldn't figure out why, because I had the idea was even there, I, I knew, but I think I. I, again, I don't know what happened, but I just switched direction and I came back and everything worked out fine. So if I should have a problem with ideas, of course I can always turn to true crime because there so many things are happening. So I don't think, I don't think I'll have a problem with an idea. That's yeah, the that's the drive through. Yeah. True crime. Yep. Just turn the crime. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> there, there's plenty, plenty to work with. There. Yeah, there that's sure is. Sure. Well, that's fantastic. That's amazing. So now, listen, are you doing social media? Do you have a website? Do you have all that sort of good stuff going on right now? And do you have? Um, do you like to interact with the readers? Oh, I love interacting with readers. I, I love hearing from them when they email me, tell me different things. One, I remember a memorable one was concerned that Corey's love interest would change to one of her sidekicks. And I and he hadn't even finished that that particular book yet. I said, please hang in there and just 
watch. I mean, there has to be conflict in these books. So just hang in there and everything will be okay. But yes, I'm all over social media. My name's kind of unique, so I'm not hard to find. On Facebook, I have my website, my namesake website, uh, Instagram, X. Uh, yeah, I'm out there. Okay, great. And your website address is? LitaSedaris.com. Well, that's real easy. And, of course, now we're going to have all of that up on our website, too, so people can find it easily with Thank one you. click. And then they can just uh, hunt you down and send you bad emails. <laughs> I'm the hunter, uh, Al. Nobody oh, you're the hunter. hunting me down. <laughs> My character's well, the hunter. <laughs> well, there you go, you know. Um, I, I have to ask, so with the weird times and all that stuff, were you writing some of these books over COVID, and, and do you think it affected any of the writing you did? You know, I was writing. It didn't affect, I don't think it affected my writing, but something really, really wonderful happened because of this pandemic. And that is when I had my book number five, Gambling with Murder, set for release in, I think it was September, October of 2020. You know, bookstores shut down, so I couldn't go to my usual sources and uh, market my books. Um, and that was a little bit disheartening. So I put out a call uh, during one of our publisher meetings uh, via Zoom, and I asked whether there were any other authors that had books coming out that fall who would want to partner up with me to do Zoom uh, promo. And much to my surprise, out of like hundreds of authors, only three responded. Only three. And they all had books coming out about the same time as me. And we banded together. There, we had the same publisher. We all do mysteries. Um, we banded together, and ever since then, we have we have a, another website that we do together. We, we're founders of sleuthsandsidekicks.com. We teach writers workshops together. Um, where our next one will be in a London-based workshop. And we traveled from coast to coast, because two of them are in New York, one's in Chicago, and here I am on the West Coast. We did a lot of marketing together, and we've become wonderful friends since then. I mean, I never would have... I never could have predicted something so marvelous would come out of the pandemic, you know, in my writing life. Oh, yeah. So, again, we're on sleuthsandsidekicks.com, if anybody would like to look that up. It's a reader-oriented um, website uh, with articles that are reader-oriented uh, about how to overcome everything from public speaking to interviews with um, authors that we're fans of, like Reese Bowen or Martin Edwards. I mean, we've got everything on there, and we've become good friends as a result of it. Oh, there you go. Yeah, no, it's pretty amazing. I think that there's a lot of good in social media as well as the bad out there, mm -hmm. and and there's a lot of, you know, there's always something good comes from bad things, usually. Right. Yeah, know, silver linings, it. silver linings. Yeah, you might always see it at the time, but, you know, there's there's good things. So, well... This is it. We appreciate you being on the show. I appreciate you having me. Thank you so much, Al and Dave. I loved being here. And you're okay. So, in your newest book, Murderous Means, it's a Southern California mystery. And it's book six, not two, six. So, don't, Amazon, <laughs> do not believe in Amazon. No, it's book six. <laughs> thank so just you. so people know. So, uh, Lita Sedaris, thank you for being here. Thanks again very much. Thanks, Lita. prepared legacy food storage the best way to protect your family is by being prepared go now to legacyfoodstorage.com use coupon code HOM15 now for 15% off quick go If you're a fan of stories that make you afraid to turn the lights off at night, then you will love Moonless Nocturne, tales of dark fantasy and horror. From attorney, former Air Force officer, special agent for the Air Force Office of Special Investigations, and Bram Stoker award-winning author, Hank Schwabel. Moonless Nocturne is a chilling set of ten tales that offers an exquisite and impressive showcase of the author's talents that are sure to entertain and intrigue readers who love a good thrill with an introduction by the 
iconic F. Paul Wilson. Moonless Nocturne is a gourmet platter of both red meat and rare delicacies, not only for aficionados of horror, mystery, thrillers, and suspense, but any connoisseurs of fantastic fiction. It's inventive and original. This collection has already been optioned for television and film by Lone Tree Entertainment and is certain to appeal to fans of King, Barker, Matheson, and Jackson. It's not the dark that should scare you. It's all the things that lurk there. Order your copy right now on Amazon or wherever books are sold. Moonless Nocturne, tales of dark fantasy and horror. From author Hank Schwabel. Look, we know that boy's going to ask again, so let's be ready. Fine, I'll be him. You ready? Ready. Mom, could you hook me up with a GoPhone? You'll run up the bill, son. Yo, that's whack, Moms. GoPhone is totally different. What? It'll only cost me an arm? Chillax. It has unlimited talk and text. Seriously? Word. Okay, we'll get a GoPhone. Really? Uh, really? That is the bomb. Do you even know what the bomb means? Yes. No. Go phone. Only from AT&T. With unlimited talk to 65 million wireless AT&T customers, and now unlimited text to anyone on any network. AT&T. Your world delivered. Morning face. You get it when you don't sleep well. This is what happened to Linda. Morning, guys. Good morning. Ah, what is that thing? It's me, Linda. Oh, my God, it talks. Run! No, it's me, Linda, from HR. It looks hungry. Save the children. Save them. Stay back. I've got mace. Oh, they're my eyes. We're moving. It's called beauty sleep for a reason. And there's never been a better time to get some. Get 20% off IKEA salt and mattresses. IKEA, love your home. Now back to the show. And we're back. You're listening to KCAA 106.5 FM, Los Angeles 102.3 FM, Riverside, and 1050 AM, Palm Springs. So welcome to Martino Movie Reviews. I'm Dave North Martino. Okay, so today we're going to talk about Creed 3. Yes, I braved the movie theater for you. <laughs> To check out Creed 3 2023 and to see if it was any good. So let me give you my thoughts on Creed 3. First, let me just say that I ran down to see this movie. I hadn't even had lunch. And I said, well, you know, I'm going to get a medium popcorn and a drink. And it came to 1750. <laughs> so I was like, what? What is going on? I used to balk when, when, they they charge like six bucks for a soda and a popcorn, seventeen fifty. Get a meal for that. Fine, fine. I'll stop complaining. <laughs> anyway, so of course Creed three is a continuation of the Creed franchise, which has been excellent. Now, of course, that is a spinoff of the Rocky franchise, starting in nineteen seventy six with the original. Rocky, and I believe ending in 2006 with uh, Rocky Balboa. So as you probably know, Creed 3 2023 is a sports drama film. It stars Michael B. Jordan, right, who's in amazing shape, and this is his directorial debut. And he does fine here. It's great. But there are some problems, and we're going to get into that. It also stars Tessa Thompson as his wife, Bianca, and she's excellent here, just like in the last two installments. I mean, the perfect casting. Jonathan Majors, he was in Lovecraft Country. He does well here playing the villain. And then we have, of course, the incomparable Felicia Rashad back again as Adonis Creed, or Donnie, as his adoptive mother. But I don't think they utilized a lot of the cast as well as they could have. And I think this is comes down to script problems. Now, Sylvester Stallone gets a producer credit here. And there's been a lot of back and forth whether Stallone's blessing was given for this film. I had I had reservations even seeing this film. Just because Stallone he created Rocky, he created Apollo Creed, who is, of course, the deceased father of Adonis Creed. And, you know, there's some wonky things that happen in Hollywood. You know, I know he wished them well, 
but he didn't he either didn't want a lot of involvement and and I don't think this picture suffers because Rocky isn't in it. I think these characters can stand on their own, but I think Stallone's sense of storytelling is what we're missing. Stallone knows this type of film. He basically invented it. So, it would have been helpful to have him on board and helping with the story. Now, at the start of this film, Adonis Donnie Creed who is played, of course, by Michael B. Jordan, he's riding high, right, in his career. And then an old friend returns, played by Majors, and it threatens everything he's worked for over the years. So as I've said, Creed Three has a stellar cast, but unfortunately the script is weak and there are some pacing issues. I found myself sometimes sitting and fidgeting. And in a movie like this, that shouldn't happen. Now, Michael B. Jordan, he is in the prime of his life. He's in great shape. But it feels like for most of the film, he's in the background in his own feature. Now, I know he's up front, but hear me out here. Adonis, Donnie, right, spends his time promoting a fight between Felix Chavez and Victor Drago. And he spends a, a lot of time remembering or reminiscing about his troubled past. Jordan has amazing charisma. We need more of him. We need more of him as a fighter. We need more of him even as a mentor. Again, with his directing, I don't have anything bad to say here. And I do look forward to seeing what else he, he does behind the camera. Now, Tessa Thompson, as Bianca Taylor Creed, she has great chemistry with Jordan. Bianca is having some troubles in her own career, some changes as well as Donnie is having changes. And their problems really should intersect, but that doesn't happen here. She really should be kind of a mirror to what's going on in his life and, and happening in his career. To me, their characters seem a little bit disconnected, even when a tragedy brings them together. There's also Mila Davis-Kent as Amara Creed. And I feel she's perfectly cast. She's great as the daughter. And they give her a conflict, but it's very short, and it's never really resolved, and it's very muddled. I wonder if there were some scenes left on the cutting room floor, and it would be great if they would reassemble those. I'd like to see them in a director's cut. Now we have Jonathan Majors' Damien Diamond Dame Anderson. Interestingly enough, his character has a lot in common with Mr. T's character, Clubber Lang, in Rocky III with more of a personal connection to Adonis. And I think that could have worked better. But they really try too hard to make Damien... They make him like a Rocky-like underdog. But you don't want to root for him. And then they go kind of by way of Rocky Four a little bit, but they kind of pull back. Then we have Felicia Rashad as Mary Ann Creed. And she's, she's uh, playing Donnie's adoptive mother. She has since the, the first movie. She's Apollo Creed's widow. Now, Felicia Rashad is always a welcome addition here. Did you know that she's the sister of Debbie Allen? I had forgotten that. But I think, again, there's something missing. Her interactions with Donnie would usually bring tears to my eyes. I would usually be blubbering. I got a little misty-eyed during some of their exchanges, but it just, I don't know, I, I didn't feel the emotion this time. And I had, I was nervous. I was nervous because before I ran down to the movie theater, I said, you know what I have to do? I have to get some Kleenex, right? I have to get tissues. But I didn't. I forgot. It didn't matter anyway. It didn't matter. But really, a film like this is supposed to pull at your emotions, supposed to pull at your heartstrings, it's supposed to, and it's supposed to lift you up supposed to make you feel something. I just wasn't getting that from this film. Speaking of that, the last two Creed films weren't just moving. They were also fun. They were exciting. It was a good time. So is Creed 3 worth the watch? Yes. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that you watch it in a theater, but it is worth a watch when it comes to a streaming service, especially if you're a completist. This film wasn't terrible. It has all the elements. It's fun to see the characters again, but am I going to purchase this film? I'm not sure. Maybe if there's a director's cut. Creed 3 is still in theaters. 
Now, this is my story doctoring section. And let me just say that truly, if you really look at Rocky, Rocky, the Rocky movies, and even the first two Creed movies, what we're dealing with is the hero's journey. You have the hero. The hero sees a dragon, like in the fourth movie, Drago, and knows he, he's got to fight the dragon. So he gets his friends together, and he finds a wizard, and the wizard gives him some magic, in this case, some boxing magic, and then he prepares, he overcomes obstacles, he fights the dragon, he marries the princess, and he becomes king. That's the story. And all you have to do is kind of follow that. But what I say is don't stray from the formula that made these movies successful. It should seem like he's going to lose everything. And then focus on the love story that's the heart of a movie like this. He should still be losing until love saves him at the end. Creed 3 wasn't a knockout for me. But even with all its flaws, it earns a solid three stars. It's watchable if a little lackluster. I'm Dave North Martino from Martino Movie Reviews. Full written reviews are up at our website. Now back to Alan R. Warren on the House of Mystery. On KCAA 106.5 FM, Los Angeles, 102.3 FM, Riverside, and 1050 AM, Palm Springs. We leave no listener behind. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. The benefits of adding a Ritchie to your operation extend far beyond saving you time, money, and water. By choosing Ritchie, you'll conserve water, protect the land, reduce energy, and promote a healthier environment for generations to come. Because we know, like you know, that every save drop matters. Start a ripple effect of sustainability today by visiting RitchieFount.com sustainability. Was your car involved in an accident or just need help with dents? All Magic Paint and Body Collision Centers, in business for over 30 years. Their highly trained staff and certified technicians and friendly staff are the best in the business and treat each car as if it was their own. All Magic Paint and Body Collision Centers are family-owned and offer state-of-the-art equipment and tools to ensure optimum results. They use the latest technology in computerized color matching and specialize in frame repairs. With their modern laser measuring systems, they're OEM certified, and they have four locations to serve you. All Magic Paint and Body Collision Centers offer rental car assistance with free drop-off and pickup services, too, and their work has a lifetime guarantee. All Magic Paint and Body Collision Centers are in Norco, Eastvale, Marino Valley, and in Fontana. Call them at 1-800-61-MAGIC. That's 1-800-61-MAGIC. All Magic Paint and Body Collision Centers. 1-800-61-MAGIC. All Magic Paint and Auto Body says drive carefully. It's that time of year again. No, not the holidays. Medicare open enrollment. And if you have questions about Medicare, you should talk to the local experts, Paul Barrich and Associates. Paul and his agents are certified with plans that are accepted by most of the medical groups in our area. Call 909-793-0385. Their service is free, and after 42 years in the business, their agents are trained to help you pick the plan that's right for you. How you doing? This is Gary Garver. In today's society, the majority of people are not getting enough sleep. I know I'm not. If you're like me and having problems getting a good night's rest, whether it's health or stress-related, I have a solution for you. South Pacific Sleep Lab. South Pacific Sleep Lab will do an evaluation of your sleep pattern and will provide a comprehensive study so you can start getting a restful, peaceful night of sleep. They take all types of insurance, which will cover your cost of the evaluation, and they will even provide transportation to their offices at no cost to you. 
For more information, contact Tony at 310-999-1887. That's 310-999-1887. Tony even stays awake all night, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, so you can sleep better and rest easy. South Pacific Sleep Lab, start feeling better and getting a great night of sleep today. 10.50 a.m. Don't forget that number. And for you young people who got here by accidentally fat-fingering your FM band selector, we're an AM radio station, and AM refers to more than just the time of day. You're on board KCAA's Inland Talk Express. KCAA, Loma Linda, 1050 AM, the station that leaves no listener behind. It's the Opperman Report. And now, here is investigator Ed Opperman. 